Hey y'all, real quick before we start the show, we recorded this episode this past Sunday for you guys, but in the current climate, with things moving as quickly as they do, I did want to give you guys a huge update. In line with the latest directive from the French authorities, Disneyland Paris will be closing on October 29th. This, of course, is due to the insanely high average of 680.6 COVID cases per 100,000 residents in the past 14 days. By the way, those numbers are cumulative, according to the European CDC. In anticipation of the Christmas holiday season, Disneyland Paris will be taking reservations from December 19th until January 3rd and will hopefully be able to open should the numbers improve. Keeping my fingers crossed. Either way, Disneyland Paris will be closed from January 4th through February 12th, 2021. Should you have a booking and not yet received a cancellation email, contact Disneyland Paris support. Also, in our post-show segment this week, Niels and I are going to chat about the standby pass, which was introduced, removed, this is when we recorded, and reintroduced again late this week. Enjoy the show, guys. and welcome back to Air Magique. I'm your host Eric and with me is my amazing co-host Niels. Hello everyone, today we'll be doing a deep dive on Main Street USA at Disneyland Paris. This first episode in our new deep dive Land by Land series. Yes, Main Street USA at Disneyland Paris is my favorite of all the parks. Well, all the castle parks I've been to. <laughs> but before we get to all that, Niels, what's something that caught your eye at Disneyland Paris these past weeks? Well, I have some positive news. Yay, finally! <laughs> yeah, finally. <laughs> Disneyland Paris is investing in one of the largest European solar uh, canopy plants on uh, World Energy Day, which was uh, last week. Disneyland Paris announced the phase development of it. And they're doing that uh, together with a co-investment of a French solar company. And this whole solar park will be created at the resort's official parking lot, which is very clever, I think. It's not just a great investment in a better environment, but it's also totally. providing guests enhancements like shade and shelter from uh, direct sunlight, rain, or snow on your parked car. Yes. <laughs> and it's also a nice walkway uh, to and from the parking spot. So if it's rainy... <laughs> Most definitely you can stay dry. Yeah, you can stay dry for a while. <laughs> and that whole car park is well, just a huge area of concrete of course so uh, yeah. Yeah, it's nice that they uh, now uh, cover it and use it in a positive way so construction began uh, in uh, july uh, already and is expected to be completed in 2023 with the first milestone uh, for the first phase in spring 21 so uh, next year already brilliant some numbers here 67,500 solar panels will deliver 31 gigawatt hours per year so that's wow. technically enough energy to uh, tackle 17 percent of the whole resort's electricity need and that's about the same amount of energy consumption of a city with about 14,500 inhabitants so that's quite impressive Isn't that crazy yeah. just one parking lot can do all that <laughs> yeah but it's a huge <laughs> parking lot <laughs> it is i believe that this parking lot can hold like 10,000 cars. Yeah, it's yeah. humongous. Oh, and when the full project is completed, a section of it will light up uh, at night in the shape of a Mickey Mouse head. So, Ooh. yeah, that will be visible uh, when you're flying over uh, Disneyland Paris. <laughs> or Panorama Chic, maybe, if you're doing it at night or sunset. Yeah, that, that would be really cool. So, uh, yeah, maybe uh, <laughs> I'll have to try that. They first announced this back in December of 2018. Yes. So it's been announced for quite a while and it's basically part of their overall, well, Disney's overall uh, implementation of environmentally responsible practices at their resorts Correct. and theme parks. Yep. So this not only uh, pertains to Disneyland Paris in general, but also to all their international mm -hmm. resorts. So like back in mid-2019, they eliminated the single-use plastic straws and plastic stirs at all Disney locations around the globe, which is amazing. Yeah. So I'm not the biggest fan of paper straws per no. se <laughs> they kind of get soggy yeah. like i love the idea of them being environmentally conscious but so this german chain here called sausalitos they use macaroni noodles oh. like uncooked macaroni noodles and they yeah. work so well and they never get soggy and they don't taste weird at all yeah that's a good idea a hint for disney you want to use some macaronis instead. yeah yeah and uh, i think i had a smoothie here last week oh. and they used bamboo uh, straws. Also good. Also interesting. Yeah, yeah bamboo is yeah. really and, fast and it growing. looks nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I guess it's a bit more uh, expensive. But I remember that when I visited Disneyland Paris last summer, there were a couple of 
quick service restaurant where they just gave you the cup without uh, the straw. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, that's also a possibility. So you just can just from the cup. drink it and there was, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's also a possibility. So you don't need the plastic lid and that's also... Well, better for the environment, but not that good for your teeth. Yeah, totally. <laughs> but unless there's ice, a lot of ice in it, then it gets uncomfortable. But a lot of times here in Europe, they won't even bother mm. putting ice in your soda, which kind of bothers me sometimes True. in the summer, especially. <laughs> but, you know, this one's also going to be one of the largest solar energy plants in Europe. That's insane to me. The design is just so beautiful. Yeah. There are these lovely dark marine blue solar panel structures and on the sides there's always like a little character portrait so i guess that's how you remember where you park exactly yeah that's the same character i I guess is they're now on the street lanterns but uh yeah and now they nicely integrate them um, into the canopy yeah totally but maybe this is just the first step eh? so the parking lot is a big open space that they can easily use um, for these uh, solar panels yeah if this is already then they might look into other areas where they can uh, can add more panels. So uh, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, roller coasters and attractions they use a lot of electricity, and they already implemented LED lighting, which has helped mm-hmm. quite a bit. But it's always going to be something that creates CO two, and that's I think something that we as True. Disney fans have to live with. But of course, we can try to make it as green as possible. Another thing they've been doing, which I thought was really cool, is they've been using the geothermal energy that is harvested right near Disney Villages, uh, Village Nature Paris yeah, <laughs> Resort, yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is what they use to heat the pools yes. there. And they've been pumping that over to the Disneyland Hotel as well to heat the water there. Isn't that insane? Yeah, that's yeah. crazy that's, uh, that it's possible to do that uh, these days. And the only thing I really want, in addition to the solar panels, is some e-charging stations <laughs> yeah. there for parking. I think that would be really yeah, cool. That would be, yeah. yeah, yeah. They have some charging uh, units, but it's so limited. Yeah. I remember a couple of years ago when I had a, a car with a charge uh, feature, we went to Newport Bay Club and mm-hmm. I saw that they had, well, two, three chargers. So that's not that much <laughs> for, oh, for one of the biggest European <laughs> hotels, but uh, yeah. it, it was something. And I went to the reception and I asked how I could use them right. because they were on a separated area and there was also a lock on it. Oh, okay. And they had to look for the keys. <laughs> so they've never done it before. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> I think I had to wait, let's say 15 to 20 minutes. And then someone came out with a key. <laughs> The good news was that I had some kind of, let's say, yeah, private parking area nice. right next to the hotel uh, while the uh, well, the main parking was quite full already. Mm-hmm. So uh, <laughs> I was closer to the main entrance, but it was clearly that it's, well, something that was not used that much. Yeah, uh, that's too bad. Was the electricity at least included in your stay? Yeah. Okay, that's good. Yeah, that's yeah. Good. they didn't charge me for that. No. Yeah, I installed an app because we're interested in getting an electric car sometime soon. And there's this app out there. It's called eMobility, uh, not sponsored. <laughs> <laughs> but you can basically see where all the plugs are. And I yeah. did see that Newport Bay Club had a couple. And there was one at the Marne La Vallée train station, which is mm-hmm. right by the entrance to Disneyland Paris. Yep. But not too many. No, true. So since our last episode, the president of the French Republic, Emmanuel Macron, has announced a daily curfew for the Ile-de-France region, which includes the city of Paris and Disneyland Paris. Now, this curfew is from 9 p.m. to 6 p.m. It came into force last Friday, so that was the 22nd of October, and will last for four weeks. So Disneyland Paris recently drastically reduced their park hours, with Walt Disney Studios Park currently closing at 4 p.m. on most days, and Disneyland Park is closing between 6 and 8 p.m., Now, with the new curfew in place, everyone must be home by 9 p.m. And while this is not directly affecting the parks, it is affecting Disney Village and the Disney hotels. So all shops and restaurants at Disney Village will now close at 9 p.m. All bars at Disney Village and Disney hotels are just permanently closed currently. Mm -hmm. And the Disney hotel gyms and pools are also just closed until further notice. So this is another revenue blow for the resort, which did a good job at adopting new regulations quickly and implementing them in the parks quite effectively. Parkers are being reminded by announcements to head back to their hotel at the respective time. Here's the announcement shared by DLP Report on Twitter. Fantastic Disneyland Paris Twitter profile, by the way. Be sure to follow them, you guys. Ladies and gentlemen, in order to respect the sanitary measures currently in force, 
We recommend that you organize your departure to come back to your accommodations or in your hotel before 9 p.m. Thank you for your cooperation. We wish you a good end of the evening. I like the little Tinkerbell sparkles at the end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the most magical part uh, of the whole message. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and usually this voiceover ends any message with something like we wish you a magical day or yeah. a great evening but now it's a bit it's a bit more solemn yeah it is yeah. <laughs> but i think it's good that they have these special audio announcements and now uh, to, to make sure that totally well, everyone knows it and uh, keeps an eye uh, huh, on their watch and uh, yeah make sure that they're uh, back home or in a hotel uh, before 9 uh, p.m. indeed. The one thing I don't really understand is that the shops at restaurants close at no. 9 p.m. Yeah, so that means like... that people will shop <laughs> till, <laughs> till 9 and then hurry back to the hotel. What about the employees that work there too? Like... If you can prove that you had to work, maybe, but uh, yeah. not for yeah. uh, leisure. Totally. <laughs> they also implemented yeah. uh, new procedures at the table restaurants recently. So you must now leave behind your contact information <laughs> in a book. Yeah. So Pretty analog, Diva, yeah. but that's how we work over here. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, each table now has a little bottle of hand sanitizer, which is nice, and that can stay. Yeah, that's good. But if you... <laughs> have to write your contact details with a pen on a paper yeah yeah that's also uh, not really hygienic i think no <laughs> i agree yeah 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 so i would have preferred uh, some digital form yeah i don't know what it's like in the netherlands yeah it's the same here in the netherlands when we went to a restaurant uh, sometimes you had to write it down yeah on the paper with their pen sometimes you receive a marketing uh, <laughs> a, a branded pen <laughs> from the restaurant <laughs> that you could keep so that's also Ooh. interesting and once we went to a sushi uh, restaurant where they um, had a qr code that you could scan on your phone and then a digital form opened where you could leave all your details. That's the best option. Yeah, and at the reception, they scanned, well, a code from your phone uh, to retrieve all the information in their system. So that also works yeah. pretty well. But as we're also required to make a reservation before you go to a restaurant, a lot of people do that through the internet and then they already have your contact details. So uh, there's no need to uh, request any additional information then? That's how I would have thought Disneyland Paris would do it. So I'm kind of surprised. Yeah. Why don't they just make you get a reservation, which you should do anyway. And then you can just yeah, leave and your then you contact. You give your name and your phone yeah, number. So yeah. I don't really yeah. see what the point is. No, indeed. But at this moment, we're not allowed to go to any restaurant here in Holland. Oh, so, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so everything is closed now. Uh, bars, restaurants. It's just takeaway and home delivery. I mean, at least it's something. <laughs> it's something. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, no. Germany, yeah. like each city was handling it so differently so in berlin you had to leave behind your contact details on a little piece of paper or if the restaurant was super sophisticated like the qr code option yeah. that you mentioned here in dresden we didn't have to until this past weekend so now when we go out we have to since dresden has recently been upgraded i guess that's the word to a red or high risk zone it feels like wrong to say upgraded oh, no. perhaps i should say downgraded but it's a whole situation yeah. Yeah. but on a more positive topic so yes <laughs> Most Disney parks are made up of several highly immersive areas. Disney traditionally refers to many of these as lands, so Fantasyland, Discoveryland, Adventureland, and so on. Today we'll be starting off our new deep dive series by talking about Main Street USA, the quote-unquote land that everyone will pass through at least twice per visit to any castle-type park. Yeah. <laughs> so, Niels, what's your first pick for Main Street? Well, I will start... Uh... With the entrance, yeah. <laughs> as uh, uh, here your journey starts, yeah. and basically uh, you enter the story. The Disneyland Hotel is a beautiful Victorian-style building, of course, but it already sets the Main Street USA theme. And underneath the five-star hotel, you'll find the ticket booths. And think of this like a theater. So yeah, it's a big and exciting show that you're about to see uh, during the whole day. And first you buy your ticket here. Then you walk up to the tunicat uh, where a cast member welcomes you. And these cast members wear long coats, nice pants, a bit like the theatrical outfits eh, of people working there. And they're checking your ticket. So that's basically happening here as well. And then you enter the lobby of the theater with uh, shops, restrooms and, uh, and other uh, facilities. And the same here happens uh, at Disneyland Paris. Eh, as you enter the first square right after the tunicat. And in order to get 
to that first scene of the show, yeah, which should be a surprise, of course, yes. you basically bypass the curtains. These are represented by the Main Street USA train station. You can't clearly see the scene behind the station yet uh, when you just enter the park. And Main Street USA is just behind the station. And it's basically, uh, as you said, Eric, uh, the first themed well, land of the park. Uh, although there are no attractions, uh, it's uh, considered as a land. And while you walk beneath the Main Street train station, you see posters uh, on the walls. And those are the three, yeah, the theatrical show preview posters right here uh, in Disneyland, uh, promoting some of the upcoming attractions, the shows, the restaurants that you're about to discover. So that's, yeah, that's really cool. Eh? A lot of people just pass by those uh, posters and don't have an idea <laughs> that it's all about <laughs> entering the show, entering this theater. <laughs> and when you're a Main Street USA, you see the credits running. The credits are the long lists of people that made the show possible. At the start of the film, at the end of the film, in Main Street, where you start and end the park, the credits are not literally running on a screen, but they are on the windows of the upper stories of the beautiful uh, themed Main Street USA buildings. Yes. So in this case, yeah, you'll find the names or references to people responsible for creating Disneyland Paris or Imagineers or Walt uh, himself. So it could also be references to other legendary people and characters from the Walt Disney Company. But these names are usually part of a little story connected to the building. But if you have time one day and you're interested in the Disney Park's history and all the details, then yeah, be sure to check out these names and maybe Google them. <laughs> so yeah, to conclude, this whole entrance area and Main Street USA really function like a theater. And yeah, I think that's an incredibly cool and smart uh, yeah, way to theme a theme park. Totally. I mean, what a brilliant idea to yeah. even come up with this whole area to get you in the mood to right away transport you to another world entirely and give you an idea of what you're about to experience yeah. when you're passing through the tunnel. This is a concept that you now see in newer parks. Mm -hmm. They copy this from Disney. So yeah. they were the ones who invented this. And now people are taking this and implementing it in their own yeah. parks. So that means that it's brilliant, right? It's <laughs> absolutely genius. One of my favorite parts of the day is entering the parks. And you know you're going to have a fantastic day. And you see all the amazing things that you're about to experience. And you're so excited and full of energy and full of life. And then yeah. in the evening, it's just such a nice and calming atmosphere once again True. when you're leaving the parks and it feels very safe and secure with the familiar buildings around you and the beautiful lighting and all the buildings are lit yep. up with their tiny little light bulbs yeah it really feels like a well a nice village and uh yeah where you can feel home and comfortable and totally <laughs> yeah, yeah so they they really did a good job there and what is even <laughs> smarter is that they have all the stuff that you need on your way to the park on the right side. So when you enter, you have on the right side uh, a shop where you can get your photo pass. You have a shop where you can get a cup of coffee while walking to the first attraction. And on the left side, you mainly have the bigger shops, which is basically your way back to the exit. And then you need to buy your souvenirs. So <laughs> even that, it's all brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. yeah. What, what's on your list? <laughs> So my first pick is the Gibson Girl Ice Cream Parlor. Mm. To be specific, the whole concept behind it. It's one of the few Disney theme park restaurants that have their own poster. Yeah. Similar to the ones that we mentioned. Now, the poster depicts the Gibson Girl, an iconic representation of the independent and gorgeous American woman at the turn of the 20th century by graphic artist Charles Dana Gibson. So just to be clear here, the Gibson Girl was not something that Disney came up with. This was an yep. actual trend at that time. So the artist saw his creation as representing the composite of thousands of American girls and was the personification of the feminine ideal of physical attractiveness <laughs> during a 20-year period that spanned the late 19th and early 20th centuries in the United States. Now, if you take a close look at the poster, which of course you, you'll notice that it's gorgeous, but you'll also notice that there are two gentlemen to the left and right of the Gibson girl yep. eyeing each other competitively. <laughs> <laughs> so the story being that they've been sitting in the parlor all day long, drinking sodas, trying to impress, only to be ignored. <laughs> 
You see, in addition to the Gibson girl's refined beauty and spirit, she was calm, independent, confident, and sought personal fulfillment. She could be depicted attending college and vying for a good mate, but she would never have participated in the suffrage movement. In a way, the Gibson girl both undermined and sanctioned women's desires for progressive Sociopolitical change. Yeah. So, Eddie Soto, a Walt Disney Imagineer, show producer of Main Street USA at Disneyland Paris, drew inspiration from an ice cream parlor he visited as a child, mm -hmm. the Pharrell's Ice Cream Parlor. So, Pharrell's Ice Cream Parlor was an American ice cream parlor chain founded in 1963 by Bob Pharrell and Ken McCarthy. It was especially well known and liked for their special offer, a free ice cream sundae to children on their birthday. By the way, <laughs> Fantasia Land, which we featured in one of our previous European theme park spotlights offers free park access to you if you visit on your birthday. So yeah. be sure to check out that spotlight and just all the rest of our spotlight <laughs> episodes to learn more about the fabulous theme parks you can experience in and around Europe. By 1975, there were 120 Pharrell's nationwide. Thereafter, sales dropped and most of the parlors were sold off in the 1980s. So today there are only a couple left. So if you check it out, you'll instantly get the Main Street vibes though. So you'll see where Eddie Soto drew his inspiration for the Gibson Girl Parlor on <laughs> Main Street USA. Pharrell's also depicted the Gibson Girl on its placemats, napkins, menus, and so on. You might also notice the Gibson girl depicted as an illustration on the top end of the parlor sign, as well as in foil on the windows. I found these insights particularly fascinating, since one might argue that the Gibson girl was the first national beauty standard for American women. Gibson's fictional illustrations were published in newspapers, magazines, and used by several shops, as well as merchandise during the whole Apocrya. So it's a really cool background yeah. into where the Gibson Girl ice cream parlor and just the whole mentality exactly. of that era. Yeah. It's not just a name and just, well, a nice picture. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's really there for a reason. That's basically, well, what counts for all the buildings in Main Street USA, but it's great to deep dive into these stories and understand why they're there so uh, totally really cool that you uh, shared this uh, and indeed uh, Imagineer uh, Eddie Soto uh, created uh, all this but I think I saw him sharing some sketches of this uh, poster on his Twitter uh, account oh. once. so yeah it's really worth following him his handle is at boss Angeles like the boss <laughs> <laughs> boss Angeles he's really sharing nice insights you can easily ask him any question yes. uh, you have about Disneyland Paris and he's always trying to give you an answer and uh, sometimes he's a bit absent uh, when he's busy uh, with his uh, <laughs> all day uh, regular business but uh, yeah but usually he's getting back to you and that's uh, that's really cool that you're well, have the ability these days to uh, get in touch with these, uh, well, legends. It's really quite fascinating because he's definitely one of the most active Imagineer on social media platforms. Yeah. Or I guess I should say ex-Imagineer now, yeah. but still working in the yeah, business. Yeah. And he does post lots of fascinating stuff, especially pertaining to Disneyland Paris, which seems to be one of his yeah. favorite projects. So. Yeah, <laughs> cool. it was his masterpiece. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he was quite young, I think, when he went to Paris for quite a long time, had to work there as an American in Europe uh, on a totally new theme park. And this was one of his first big projects. So yeah. that must have left, well, a big impression. Totally. What's next on your list, Neil? Next on the list is uh, Casey's Corner. Ooh. So that's right... <laughs> on the other side of Main Street, uh, the Gibson Girl. The hot dog counter restaurant uh, in Main Street, USA. You can find it uh, at the end on the left side, uh, just like uh, Casey's in the Magic Kingdom at Walt Disney World. The menu is pretty simple. Huh? Plain hot dogs, one with cheddar, one with fried onions or cheddar and onions, I guess. <laughs> Some uh, vegetable uh, chili. But they also have fries and nuggets. But in the end, it's not really a good restaurant uh, for vegetarians. No. <laughs> <laughs> the hot dogs are pretty good and they have the real American feel, in my opinion. They have some indoor seats, a small terrace with a castle view. It's gorgeous. But in the end, it's not just about these hot dogs. <laughs> uh, for most people, it is just an American-style hot dog place uh, with a baseball theme. But there's a lot to see inside, actually. So especially when you go into the seating area, there are a lot of baseball props that you can see. But did you know that it's not just, well, 
an American theme fitting Main Street USA. It's based on the Casey at the Bat, uh, which is an animated short from Make My Music. Oh! It's a happy comedy musical from Walt Disney, which was released in 1964, so back a while. <laughs> <laughs> Later, it was also released as a separate short, maybe because it was the most popular part of uh, Make My Music. And this is the basically the Disney version of an existing poem telling the story of a baseball slugger called Casey and how he tried to win the game uh, for Mudville. And uh, yeah, if you go into the restaurant and not just to the counter, but also really look into the seating uh, area, you will find a lot of references to Mudville, to Casey, all referring to this original uh, story. So that's uh, a nice insight that a lot of people will miss because well, Casey in the bed. Huh? <laughs> it's not something that's top of mind for most people. I so, wonder if it's yeah. on Disney Plus because that is such a cool connection to the film yeah. archive, I should say, the classic Disney films. At least it's interesting when you're huh, going to Disneyland Paris and um, are planning to visit uh, Casey's Corner, then uh, it, it would be cool to, uh, well, just have a quick look at it. Totally. Uh, so cool, though. I've never seen this musical before. I'm going to say it straight up, but I love Casey's Corner. The food is super snacky, right? It's just (laughs) something quick to fill your stomach with and you want to move on. If you can find an empty seat there, which is almost impossible, then you have one of the best views. Either you're looking at Main Street and it's so great for people watching or you're looking at the gorgeous castle. (laughs) So it's a total win-win if you want to grab a quick bite to eat there. So next on my list is the Disney & Co. shop, which is located on the west side of Main Street, USA, Mm -hmm. right in between Casey's Corner and Lily's Boutique. It sells Disney-themed plush and toys. However, what makes Disney & Co. special is that it is themed to a turn-of-the-century traveling carnival or fairground. In contrast to other Main Street, USA venues, the Disney & Co. shop does not try to replicate a historic interior, instead using bygone fair and circus theme to create a completely new environment that still feels nostalgic. Best of all, the merch fits. Since plush and toys were traditionally the prizes that could be won at a fair or circus carnival. (laughs) True, yeah. The design of the shop was inspired by the images from the book Fairground Art by Jeff Whedon and Richard Ward and the Disney movies So Dear to My Heart and Summer Magic. So Dear to My Heart was released in 1948 and tells the story of a determined young country boy and his quest to raise a black lamb to become a premium animal at the Pike County Fair. The movie is based on the book Midnight and Jeremiah, written by Sterling North. Like Mary Poppins, it combines animation and live-action film. Summer Magic, on the other hand, is a 1963 feature film based on the book Mother Carries Chickens by Kate Douglas Wigan. The story is about a widow and her children taking up residence in a small town in Maine, USA. Now, both of these themes feel fairly familiar if you've been to Main Street, USA and Disneyland Paris. As a guest passing through the front door of Disney & Co., you're greeted with a stunningly decorated American stained glass display. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, Yeah, it's so gorgeous. You'll also immediately notice the huge hot air balloon holding three moving Disney characters. The intriguing display was installed by the request of the merchandise department to lure shoppers into the store. So it effortlessly integrates itself into the overarching design concept since Victorian fairs often featured balloon rides, which I thought was pretty clever yeah. of the Imagineers. Yeah, really, really smart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. With an emphasis on columns, the interior of the Disney & Co. store is reminiscent of the Greek revival movement. The architectural style was typical of the time and works well with the Americana theme. The Greek Revival dominated American architecture in the late 18th and early 19th centuries. It's often considered the first national architectural style in the United States and is found in all regions of the country. Inspired by the architecture of ancient Greece, buildings in the style are patterned after Greek temples. The style arose out of a young nation's desire to identify with the ideals of ancient Greek Republic at the time of the War of 1812 diminished the American affection for British architecture. So (laughs) they're looking for a new style. Decor inspired by the flag of the United States of America, such as festooning and bunting were used throughout the shop. This perfectly fits the American patriotism that was so prevalent in the turn of the century small town celebrations. Historical light fixtures and colorful billboards line the walls. 
all of which refer to products on sale or exhibits featuring curiosities that could be found at many traveling carnivals, like, for example, an advertising on quote-unquote electric wonders, <laughs> playing on the introduction and rising popularity of electricity at the time. The carousel made by the Philadelphia Toboggan Company inspired the design of the circular area in the center of the Disney and Co. store. So the Philadelphia Toboggan Company, or PTC for short, is the oldest still in business roller coaster manufacturing company in the world. So take that in. Wow. <laughs> it's based in Hatfield, Pennsylvania and was established in 1904, making various amusement devices, including carousels, only until 1934, though, and wooden roller coasters still today. <laughs> so the company's carousels were known for their elaborate carvings and elegant decorations. Beautiful rounding boards can be found above the shopping shelves of the Disney & Co. store. Rounding boards are scenery panels that surround the top of the carousel, often adorned with carvings, mirrors, paintings, and lights. These panels are curved to give the carousel its round appearance. They serve a dual purpose of hiding machinery as well as giving the carousel an intriguing appearance in the hopes of attracting riders. The Walt Disney Imagineers used both the Philadelphia and Coney Island style to design the rounding boards and styling for the store. The panels feature reproductions of iconic prints published by the legendary printmaking firm Courier & Ives. The company produced some of the most popular American art of the 19th century and specialized in publishing hand-colored lithographic prints that were sold inexpensively to the growing American middle class. Most of the pictures and wall paintings were done by a group of skilled Irish artists. They also hand-painted the murals in the Boardwalk Candy Palace. Now, one of my favorite details is the impressive band organ in the center of the store. So, by the way, this used to play songs in the early days of Disneyland Paris. Wow. And pays homage to the music of, yeah, a carousel. <laughs> so, the organ, along with the one located in Main Street Station, was built in Canada. It's got its own soundtrack of orchestrion music. Since the organ in Disney Co. is located right by the register, I have to wonder whether or not it has been shut off on purpose <laughs> <laughs> rather than a technical fault so as not to drive the cast members crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Either way, the Disney Co. store is one of my favorite places to stop by on Main Street. I promise this was my longest one. So <laughs> <laughs> the rest are sure. <laughs> no, but there it, is so much to talk about here. Yeah, it's pretty impressive how much you can tell about, well, just one shop and uh, it's not even the biggest yeah indeed it's a truly unique experience that you will have there there's no other shop in the whole resort with the same kind of feeling so uh, yeah totally worth a visit just for that reason then not for the plush maybe or <laughs> <laughs> the toys no. but uh, yeah but taking just a nice stroll through and appreciating just the yep. immense amount of detail is and now you know a little bit of the history too so you can annoy your family members with the tidbits exactly <laughs> Next is uh, Walt's, an American restaurant. Yes. This is, uh, well... I'm so glad you included it. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, uh, lately it's known for being closed most of the time. <laughs> but, uh, well, I want to talk about it as it's one of the, well, the best restaurants in Disneyland Paris. Food, location, theming, it's all great. Uh, yeah. It's, this really makes it an upper-class restaurant. Uh, it's Quite expensive as well. <laughs> in the middle of Main Street, you can enter the restaurant's lobby and request a table, although reservations are recommended. Sometimes I had a chance to still go up there and get a table without a reservation. Ooh. Although, well, with the closure <laughs> recently, the demand uh, might be a bit higher now. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Be sure to uh, make your reservation two weeks uh, up front if the restaurant will be open on your uh, visiting days. So when you enter this, let's say, ground floor lobby, there's a statue of Walt, there's a beautiful piano, lots of historical black and white pictures from Walt, Mickey, and the whole interior, it looks very classy with its carpets, uh, the red curtains, uh, and, and it's truly so gorgeous. an homage to Walt Disney himself. All the dining rooms are upstairs, themed after a part of the park. So when going upstairs, you'll find more pictures of Walt <laughs> while um, climbing the stairs. And then you will be assigned a table in the Fantasyland, the Adventureland, Discoveryland, Disneyland Hotel, Grand Canyon or Frontierland dining room. So it's not completely matching the lands of Disneyland Paris, but uh, they're all related to the park. And each room has its own statues, paintings, pictures and other nice props. I think 
I've had dinner there twice, and both times I ended up in the Adventureland room. <laughs> where you have a... Almost a bummer the second time yeah, if you're trying to get maybe. something else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, true. We had some beautiful models there of Pirates of the Caribbean, of the attraction, amongst a lot of other things. But some rooms have window seats with a few over Main Street USA, so... If you reserve a table, try to get it during parade time. <laughs> and maybe you are lucky enough that you can see it from above when you get a window seat. So that's uh, just a little tip here. <laughs> then the food itself, it's American cuisine, as they call it, with a European touch. It's not as good as a star restaurant, but it's definitely one of the best things you can get in a theme park and it all looks fantastic they really make your plate look like a piece of art so nice yeah we had some really artistic creations including nice colorful lollies made out of fruits and uh, well and, and other stuff that was just like a small dessert but yeah it looked so cool Although it's up class, uh, you can definitely bring your kids there as long as they're not too picky uh, <laughs> food-wise. It's a really nice place to visit. It's quiet, it's full of details and uh, well, each room has its own uh, story. So it's uh, really uh, nice to experience. Most definitely. I believe on one of our previous episodes, we refer to it as Every Man's Club 33, basically. So yep. since Disneyland Paris doesn't have a dedicated Club, a Club 33, 33, this is... Yep the replacement closest thing closest thing (laughs) to it yeah Yeah, i think so yeah it's super gorgeous it's super elegant and sadly it's more exclusive than ever since it's never open (laughs) which is so frustrating (laughs) so diva if you're at the parks and it's open go have dinner there go have lunch there because that might be once in a lifetime yeah exactly yeah so yeah seriously every time i've been it's been closed yeah i was Um, about to ask if you ever had a chance to dine there but uh yeah we wanted to on our last trip but it was yeah just yeah. not open for business. So. No, it's a yeah. Yeah. Maybe someday. Someday, <laughs> yes. So what's your next pick, uh, Eric? So my next pick is where the horse-drawn streetcars come from. Yeah. Now, this one's kind of a short one. So the horse-drawn streetcars take guests on a relaxing trip down Main Street USA with stops on Town Square and Central Plaza. When strolling down Main Street, you might notice that the Parisian horse-drawn streetcars look very different from their American counterparts in Walt Disney World and Disneyland in California. In fact, the streetcars were redesigned from the ground up, placing guests in a covered cabin to protect them from the inclement French weather. According to Walt Disney Imagineer Eddie Soto, the design of the trolley cars was inspired by the ones that can be seen in the iconic musical film Hello Dolly, (laughs) starring (laughs) Barbara Streisand. That one is available on Disney+. Plus. I saw it there recently for the (laughs) first time. You already watched it 10 times, right? (laughs) (laughs) It's got some good music. It's got some good music. I'm not going to lie. Now, the trolley cars also feature fun advertisements for their Main Street counterparts, such as the Market House Deli. And you can easily distinguish the cars by their numbering 101, 102, and 103. (laughs) At the bottom of the car, you might spot the following lettering, Main Flower and and Market Streets, which refer to the names of the two small side streets of Main Street USA. Taking the streetcar is unfortunately not always possible because the horse-drawn streetcars only come out on busy days. In addition, the cars have to pause for parades. As a rule of thumb, the horse-drawn streetcars mostly drive through the parks before noon, so if this is a must-do for you, be sure to check it out early in your day when you see them. True. Now, this is another one that, honestly, I've never done before, and I really want to do it someday. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and it's not just the horse-drawn streetcars. You also have the so-called Main Street vehicles. Very true. Yeah, well, the classic-looking cars. They both add some dynamics to Main Street USA, making it really feel like an actual town in business and yeah i really love those details and that they keep this alive it's not a big attraction it's not uh, (laughs) that a lot of people can uh, well can do it or experience it it adds really dynamics to main street usa most definitely so what's next on your list Niels? well another beautiful place in uh, main street usa is the main street train station oh yes and we already talked about it as you have to go underneath uh, to enter Main Street USA. But, well, you can make a great trip around the park with the Disneyland uh, Railroad. It's a good moment to sit down for a while and absorb the whole park from a different uh, perspective. But the stations 
are great places to explore as well. So it's not just Main Street USA station that is beautiful, but basically all stations are themed, well, very differently had to match the land uh, that they're in. And most of them are full of neat little details. Main Street Station is definitely one of the most beautiful uh, stations or maybe the most beautiful one. Definitely. Uh, you already enter the stairs at Town Square as you have to go up. And when you're up, you have a great view over Town Square and Main Street. And you can spot the castle. So that's already a reason to go up yeah. <laughs> for me. But that's not all. Uh, the whole architecture is full of little details. And it's a mix of materials from steel to wood, glass. There's a beautiful red organ. Uh, you already mentioned uh, the organ in the, the Disney Co. store, which is basically based on the platform and... It's well, a piece of entertainment eh, from the old uh, times to make uh, the weight easier. Then you have some really beautiful stained glass windows eh, that represent the lands of the park. So those are another fantastic detail that adds some color also to the whole Main Street uh, station. But there is also luggage, red fire buckets and other props well, that you can definitely look for while you're waiting or when exiting uh, the station. And these details all bring you back to the turn of the century, make it really feel like an authentic train station uh, from that time. But lastly, I I want to mention uh, the station's audio track with the sound of trains, people talking, but especially uh, uh, the announcements uh, and warnings that uh, (laughs) uh, the voiceover is making. It's really funny sometimes, and it sounds extremely American and from the old days. It's slow, American. But uh, and I said, there's a bit of humor included. So uh, yeah, be sure to listen carefully uh, while waiting for your train. Yeah, I mean, this is just hands down the most gorgeous stop yeah. along the way. So it's so intricate and so detailed, just like the rest of Main Street USA. True. Completely inviting and almost overwhelming in its lavish design it's so incredible yeah. five stars on yelp <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is the five star station i think of all stations i like main street station the best and um, i think discovery land station is the well the worst <laughs> yeah they could have done so much more with the whole victorian steampunk theme exactly. like in my head i can picture this gorgeous copper station with lots of steam elements and gears moving and all this cool stuff and it's just true nothing yeah. basically the details that you see everywhere in discovery land the space mountain yeah hyperion cafe uh, utopia that whole atmosphere is a bit missing in the train station but other than that i think the stations all look really really beautiful yeah i wonder if they plan to like plus it someday maybe they invested more budget into main street since it's the whole entrance of the park and it really needs to impress right away and then i feel like with discovery land it was at the time of the park's opening more of a work in progress with discovery mountain still being in the planning phase and yeah and then cancelled and And perhaps with the construction of discovery mountain they would have also plus the train station although nothing was ever released or confirmed on that front but i could imagine that correlating and then after the financial issues yeah that just fell off the table real quick yeah now next on my list yeah. is the market house deli which is an american yeah. style sandwich restaurant that is located on the right hand side facing the castle of main street usa the restaurant resembles a country market and general store at the turn of the 19th century small towns had stores that sold many things from food to household goods Now, Walt Disney Imagineering even installed an antique telephone switchboard behind the counter to give a sense that the telephone service was also available at the deli. (laughs) Back in before the days of cell phones and telephones at home, Eddie Soto used the red and brown shades throughout the restaurant to lend a rustic masculine feel to the space. The ceiling of the Market House Deli is especially noteworthy since it's made of of fine pressed tin panels. A tin ceiling is an architectural element that was very popular in the Victorian buildings Mm. in the late 19th and early 20th century. Historically, tin ceilings were introduced to North America as an affordable alternative to the exquisite plasterwork used in European homes. They gained popularity as Americans sought a more sophisticated interior design. Durable, lightweight, and fireproof tin ceilings were appealing to home and business owners alike as a functionally attractive design element that was readily available. The floor around the refrigerated deli cases has been tiled. In the Victorian era, tile was used in areas of heavier use and wear, especially in bars and counter service restaurants where tiles were added 
and um, they also had hygiene benefits, so that's great. (laughs) The restaurant is nicely decorated with posters and food cans. Most of the cans are real antiques, although Walt Disney Imagineering duplicated the labels so they could appear in plenty. The Market House Deli also features a traditional potbelly stove, which weighs over 203 kilos. That came out of a residential basement in Baltimore. Mm. Well, it's got this really beautiful icebox behind it now. An icebox was the common appliance for providing refrigeration before the safe refrigerants made compact mechanical refrigerators possible. Iceboxes had hollow walls that were lined with tin or zinc and packed with various insulating materials such as cork, sawdust, straw, or seaweed. (laughs) And a large block of ice was held in a tray or a compartment near the top of the box so that cold air would circulate down around the storage compartments in the lower half. The ice would have to be replenished in regular intervals, usually by obtaining new ice from an Iceman. So, delivery. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Back in the day. Yeah. I adore this place. Everything feels like there's a story behind it, and it's such a wonderful curation of antiques and clever design elements that mm. come together yeah. to transport you yeah, into another great. place yeah. in time. And they have some really good cupcakes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, priorities yes (laughs) come for the cupcake stay for the interior (laughs) yeah (laughs) no but if you have your cupcake well and if you're able to find a place uh, to sit as it's not that big yeah then uh, you can definitely um, have a look at all these uh, well neat little little details (laughs) totally and they have a nice outdoor terrace as well so uh, great for spring and summer yeah so last but not least niels what she got for us (laughs) last on my list is the arcades uh, the liberty and the discovery uh, arcade metro usa has two arcades one on both sides of the street behind the stores and the restaurants these arcades are unique to disneyland paris so you won't find them in any other Disney Main Street around the world. And they're perfect covered walkthrough areas for the Parisian weather, which could be rainy, freezy, snowy, windy, (laughs) sunny, (laughs) basically anything. And they also add some extra capacity, which is great to get people out of the park quite fast after the nighttime spectaculars when they're there. At the moment, there are no spectaculars, of course, but uh, it's really a smart way of creating additional uh, capacity. During the early mornings, the arcades are usually pretty quiet and a great way to start the day on an easy pace, uh, in my opinion. But there's more. These arcades are basically small exhibitions on its own. It's just not just a walkthrough. It's really places where a story is told. So the Discovery Arcade on the right side exhibits uh, the inventors of the 19th century in the many uh, showcase windows that you will find in the arcade are representing models and sketches from the American uh, Patent Office, but also visionary uh, poster art of US cities as they were envisioned uh, a century ago. So that's uh, pretty cool uh, to look at with, well, characteristic red tiles on the floor, the beautiful gas lamps uh, above you. It's an amazing place to check out. And when you walk out, you have Discovery Land on your right hand to further explore Discovery Land. So it's really making sense that the Discovery Arcade is on the right side uh, of Main Street USA, where Discovery Land, well, will be your first uh, themed land uh, to experience. On the other side of Main Street, we have the Liberty Arcade. This is an uh, exhibition about the famous Statue of Liberty in the US. (laughs) And basically there are three sections in here. So the first section is about the making of the statue by two Frenchmen. So... Uh, Bartholdi and uh, uh, Eiffel, establishing already a connection between France and the US. So it's there for a reason. (laughs) (laughs) The second part of the Liberty Arcade is the Liberty Court, uh, which is a rotunda with, again, a connection between the countries with US and French uh, flags uh, hanging all around. And behind the Victorian painting that you see there, you can enter a dark room. And this room is all about the statue's uh, ceremony with wax figures and the recording of President Cleveland's uh, speech when uh, he was revealing this uh, beautiful statue. So yeah, that's something that a lot of people uh, miss. And the last section of the arcade shows the statue, well, as a world icon, as an international symbol of freedom. So this whole Arcade has a great build-up uh, in storytelling yeah, from the making to the opening ceremony uh, to the, well, well, becoming a world uh, icon. And uh, well, also be sure to look up as there are a lot of uh, little details referring all over the arcade. Uh, well, details referring to the statue itself. Uh, so, totally. Yeah. Do you have a yeah. favorite arcade? Ooh, 
It's difficult. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, I prefer the Discovery Arcade. Really? So, okay. Well, why is that? Yeah. yeah um, somehow the gas lamps and it's a bit darker. Yeah. And maybe it feels a bit more mysterious. And I really like all the, the sketches representing these discoveries. Uh, yeah. That's something that, that always intrigued me. <laughs> yeah. I... You prefer the other one I, uh, I hear in your voice. <laughs> yeah. I must admit, I'm going to go for... For the Liberty Arcade, don't they also have little gorgeous gas lamps? Or am I like confusing the two? Yeah, no, you're right. But somehow, when walking through the Discovery Arcade, I always have the feeling that I feel their warmth. Okay, mm-hmm. and I yeah have that less in the Liberty Arcade, and I'm not sure if there's a reason. Yeah, I get it. No, <laughs> totally, but... totally. It's a little bit, and it feels more authentic to me. Yeah. Therefore, yeah. No, I get it. No, I'm gonna go for the Liberty Arcades here. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> So there's something yeah. for everyone. <laughs> yeah. I just, I love the detailing of the Liberty Arcade and the Victorian influences. So, yeah. um, but both are so gorgeous and I don't want to live without either one. So what I usually do is I go through the Liberty Arcades in the mornings and the Discovery Arcades in the evenings to head back out if I want to avoid the crowds. So yeah. it's a lot of fun and the exhibitions are more fun. And the Discovery Arcade, in my opinion, as well. The little tiny windows yeah. to look into. Yeah, true. Yeah. yeah, That's also why I think it's nicer. There's more to see. Yeah. yeah. But the Liberty Arcades, they have this kind of secret little hidden showcase. I used to think that because the entrance is so subtle, I thought it was like maybe like a cast member only yeah. area. Yeah. And I was so it afraid to like go in. It like a backstage area. Yes, so don't yeah. go there. But no, actually... You can go there. So yeah. if you heard this, <laughs> go in, go in. Be sure to look for it uh, uh, next time. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, there's a huge mural, a, and then yeah. there's like some fabric curtains around the edges, and then you can go yeah. in and either the left or the right hand side. And it looks pretty dark in there. So it looks yeah. very dark in there. Yeah. yeah. So most people just pass by and don't have a clue that there's something yeah. to discover. Yeah. It looks like you're not supposed to go in, but you are no. supposed to go in. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So next time, go there. So what's your last pick? Yeah, my last pick is definitely one of my favorites. So the Cable Car Bake Shop. Yeah. In the late 80s, San Francisco was surveyed as the most popular place for Europeans to visit in the United States. So Walt Disney Imagineer Eddie Soto felt that dedicating part of Main Street to San Francisco would have great appeal. So the idea for the Cable Car Bake Shop and Market Street were born. Now, one of the things San Francisco is famous for is its quote-unquote painted ladies style of decoration. Painted ladies is a term used for Victorian and Edwardian houses and buildings painted in three or more colors that embellish or enhance their architectural details. The term was used for San Francisco Victorian houses by writers Elizabeth Pomada and Michael Larson in their 1978 book Painted Ladies, San Francisco's Resplendent Victorians. This style was used by the Imagineers while developing the color scheme for the exterior of the Cable Car Bake Shop and the Market Street buildings. The interior of the Cable Car Bake Shop is characterized by its pinstripe moldings, stained glass, intricate wall coverings, and brass fly fans. Oh, those are my favorite. (laughs) So the upside down fly fans that line the dining area are based on historic research, a real cafe that once existed in New York City on 42nd Street. Eddie Soto thought they were very unique and fun, so he decided to have them custom made for Disneyland Park. So really notice these fans because they're not attached to the ceiling, which is a lot of fun. The Imagineers tried not to make the cable car bake shop too luxurious, channeling a more casual vibe. A small stove was integrated into the facility to appear warm and inviting to park goers. It does in the wintertime, trust me. (laughs) So... (laughs) One of the prop buyers, Imagineer Connie Holtz, made it a mission to find and collect the artifacts found in the bake shop. She lived in the San Francisco area and kept her eyes out for special San Francisco and cable car memorabilia. There are blueprints of cable cars, images of their conductors, maps of San Francisco. The large map in the rear of the dining room is a personal favorite of Imagineer Eddie Soto. Sections of the original cable car rail in which to hang your coat yeah. and even a bell. So. That's, that's so cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so you can ring and annoy everybody there. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> I feel like a conductor. <laughs> no history of San Francisco would be complete without mentioning the Great Earthquake of 1906. That is why the Imagineers installed a Kaleoscope machine, coin-operated, hand-cranked, animated picture machine invented in 1904 by the Kill Brothers to show parkours what really happened back in the day. The Cable Car Bake Shop is one of my favorite locations on Main Street. 
Everything the Imagineers did just works so well, and the place is a whole mood. Be sure to grab a brownie or coffee there when visiting the parks, and again, it's also kind of tough to get a seat here. Yeah. <laughs> but if you can, it's worth the vibe. It's just too small on those crowded days, but yeah. yeah. If you're able to, well, get a seat, it's definitely worth drinking your coffee <laughs> and look around. There's indeed so many historical pictures and blueprints uh, on the walls. Uh, yeah, it's... Uh, totally. It's, it's, Worth a look. Yeah. Niels, where can people find you? People can find me, uh, well, mainly on Instagram under the handle uh, at Capturing Disney Parks. Uh, I do daily posts, so please follow along uh, for some uh, daily magic. And yes. uh, all my other activities uh, can be found on the website capturingdisneyparks.com. You guys, be sure to follow Air on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook for more neat Disneyland Paris content. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a rating and review on your favorite platform. And I'm going to challenge you guys this week. So leave a review with your favorite Main Street detail or restaurant or just what you like about Main Street USA. Yeah, <laughs> It really makes a difference if you leave a review and helps new folks discover the show. And if you do, we might read it on a future episode. Jordan P 89 from England writes, a great podcast by very knowledgeable guys. I enjoy listening to the podcast as my wife and I are Disney fans and have been to the parks in Paris and Orlando, Florida many times. Thumbs up. <laughs> this is a very helpful pod for first time people all the way to park veterans. Keep up the good work, Jordan. Thank you so much, yeah, Jordan. Yeah, thank you very much uh, for, for, <laughs> taking, uh, for taking the time to let us know. And uh, well, also make sure that other people uh, can find uh, Ermagik uh, easily. Yes, we really appreciate it, Jordan. <laughs> you guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Stay safe and have a wonderful day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Niels, did you hear about the introduction and removal of a virtual standby? And do you think that means we're going to get a digital fast pass in the future? Yeah, that might be the case. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's strange that they will introduce it and there must be a whole technical infrastructure behind right. it uh, to make this possible. And then in about two weeks, it's also gone. So the question is, of course, did it work? <laughs> Or maybe not. <laughs> yeah, they introduced this as a temporary solution during the COVID times to make sure that there wouldn't be any really long waiting uh, yes, times. Yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah, yeah, you, you get just a time slot, uh, you come back and well, you still have to wait in line, but it won't be a line of one hour, one and a half hour, but maybe... 10, 20 minutes, something like that. Yeah. So basically, this feels a bit like, well, the paper Fastpass, <laughs> or indeed a digital Fastpass you were just mentioning, like they have in uh, Walt Disney World. So, yeah. I wouldn't be mad at a digital Fastpass system coming over here. No. I'm a little bit nostalgic, of course, for the paper Fastpass, but... Yeah, those are nice uh, little yes! things. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Fastpass is gone. No. But, yeah. well, they call it standby pass because it's not... Well, when you come to the attraction in the right time slot, hey, you're not going in in five uh, minutes, but so it's not fast. But yeah, basically it is some kind of fast pass that they uh, were offering. Yeah, it kind of reminds <laughs> me of the Rise of the Resistance boarding yeah, groups, when it just basically. Yeah. So yeah, that's the same yeah, thing. Yeah. yeah, it was kind of yeah. too abrupt the introduction of it. I feel like people didn't really understand. There was a lot of confusion, which is why they probably chose mm -hmm. to remove it again. It was yeah. just, oh my gosh, all of a sudden now it's there and there was very little communication <laughs> to the outside world True, beforehand. Yeah. It just appeared in the uh, Disneyland Paris app uh, yep, on one day <laughs> for a lot of people. <laughs> there was some communications, but well, maybe not enough uh, yeah. to really get people aware of it. And, and it was also when some attractions got more crowded, then they activated the standby pass. So oh, uh, when you enter the park yeah, in, in the morning, then you can just... Well, go to Big Thunder Mountain and ride it. And um, around noon, when there uh, is uh, like a 90-minute <laughs> wait, then they all of a sudden introduce the standby pass. I remember when Disney World first implemented the digital fast pass, they would have cast members with tablets that could also help you out in case you didn't have a smartphone. So I thought that was a really smart yeah. compromise at the beginning to get people used to using their devices to get access to a fast pass. And if, if yeah. you, in case you 
didn't have one or you forgot yours, you could go to a cast member and reserve your fast pass yeah. there instead. So I thought that was like yeah, a nice little... And they still have some kind of touchscreen uh, panels uh, <laughs> in a couple of places in Walt Disney World. That's where true. Where you can yeah. just scan your magic band or your park ticket and make your uh, fast pass reservations. They offer a solution for the people that don't have a smartphone or don't have an internet connection available. And well, that was not the case here in Disneyland Paris. Yeah. yeah. And they installed like these last minute phone charging stations yeah. to, <laughs> to because it was draining your battery because you were using your phone so much but the thing i was wondering is like where's our fuel rod like why <laughs> why do i have to stand by this phone charging station all day no yeah. Yeah. um i would prefer like a fuel rod system where you could just charge while you wait or yeah. while you're walking around like a mobile battery pack basically yeah, which you buy once and then you can replace it at a couple of stores or uh, machines and uh, yeah, yeah and get a full battery yeah. pack but i'm pretty sure that well fastpass will be back one day huh, when the parts go back to totally. uh, normal capacity. And maybe this standby pass was just a little test to introduce indeed the, the digital fast pass. Uh, so, uh, yeah. Yeah, tipping their toes in the water, keeping our fingers crossed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and I'm, I'm wondering for a while when Disney will make fast pass a VIP service in Disneyland Paris. Yeah? Like you get a couple of free passes for staying at a Disney hotel or right. when you're an annual pass holder, yeah. uh, something like that. And for any other guest, uh, maybe one free pass a day and, well you pay for uh, additional ones. That kind of VIP functionality, let's say, will be more easy to implement uh, when the whole system becomes digital, uh, I think, so that people can easily purchase fast passes well, from their phone during the day yeah, or when the crowds are too high. <laughs> and a nice new revenue stream for Disneyland Paris. Yeah, I'm wondering uh, yeah, what this will uh, bring in the future. Will be interesting. Yeah. <laughs> 